Thanks for listening to the gathering from Storyline Church. The life of Jesus is full of wisdom and revelation, but there was one subject he addressed more than any other, money. As we continued our series on the transformative power of grace, we explored the subject of wealth and money and the value of grace in today's world. The band brung us songs from Pink Floyd, Gillian Welch, Tash Sultana, and more. Let's have a listen.
country to support. Hear me? I want to stay in Arizona. I want my new contract. But I like you. Yes, I like you, Jerry. My wife likes you. You're good to my wife. I will stay with you. That's, that's great. I'm very happy. Are you listening? Yes. That's what I'm going to do for you. God bless you, Jerry. But this is what you're going to do for me. You listen? Jerry? Yeah, what, what, what can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me what can I do for you. It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell, it's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. I just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it with you with me, then, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not, not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother, but you got to yell that. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Show me the <laughs> Morning. Oh, man, this is going to be fun. Uh, so I was 14 uh, years old when I got my first job. I was in ninth grade, and it was the first year that work permits were available at school. Um, we lived in this little suburb of Traverse City, Michigan, and it was within t a 10-minute bike ride of Tom's Food Market. Um, likely the equivalent of Rogers Foodland here in St. Joe today. So I remember walking into the store to get an application, uh, and we had lived in this neighborhood for a, a bunch of years at this point, so I'd walked into Tom's and walked through those aisles a dozen times, but you would have thought that when I walked in to get that application from the manager that I was going to ask her to marry me, right? Like, I was so nervous, and she had to know it. But, you know, she gave me a chance anyway, and at, at 14 years old, for five twenty-five an hour, I... I was hired to be a, a grocery bagger, so it was the pride of my life. Um, as I look back now, I'd like to tell you that I, that I gleaned a wealth of knowledge. That I'd like to say that I, what I got out of my experience was this deep and reverent respect for money, that it taught me the value of a dollar and that it set me on a pathway of fiscal responsibility. But what I really remember from that experience uh, and getting out of it was Star Wars Battlefront uh, for the PlayStation 2. <laughs> <laughs> My first paycheck was for $35, the equivalent of eight hours of work after taxes, which to a 14-year-old makes no sense. Um, but with some quick math, I figured out that with just one more of those, I could buy Battlefront, and then my life would be complete. Uh, th there's nothing like that feeling, right, of your parents dropping you off at the mall with 60 of your hard-earned dollars in your pocket only to spend 54 of them at GameStop, forgetting about sales tax, and leaving yourself with just enough money for a slice of Sabero pizza. Um, you remember malls, right? <laughs> like the universal millennial babysitter? Like they were, they were that was awesome. Good times, RIP. Um, I do think I walked away from my time at Tom's Food Market understanding the concept of sacrifice. I had to give something in order to get something, right? As much as I loved getting a new video game every couple weeks, 
Uh, I hated saying no to my friends on the weekends. And it was resistance to that sacrifice that eventually ended my time at Tom's because I didn't want to keep missing things, right? Which is why this morning I'm, self-admittedly, I'm not the best person to give any kind of advice when it comes to how we spend our money, right? I haven't taken a math class since high school, uh, and I still have way too much student loan debt to be considered any kind of credible advisor. Uh, but as we continue our series on the role of grace in all the different facets and spaces in our lives, this morning for only the third time in 20 years here at Storyline, uh, I want to consider the role of grace in our treasure. Like I said, I'm not going to, nor do I feel like it's anyone's job or responsibility uh, to be any kind of authority on the principles of how we spend our money. Uh, treasure, wealth, finances, these are very delicate and they are very private topics. One of the first lessons I remember being taught was uh, never ask a person how much they make, right? It came, it came right after eye contact and hand firmness in the handshake. Like, okay, son, go over and say thank you, shake their hand and look them in the eyes, and don't you dare ask them how much money they make. Like, well, now I kind of want to know. Like, wasn't thinking about that before, but now I really want to. Um, I also, this morning, I, I, I don't have an ask for us, okay? There isn't any kind of announcement of, of a campaign or a mission-giving movement or or anything like that. I don't want you to feel like you're waiting on the line for some kind of hook or hoodwink, right? I will say this though. Uh, last week at the business meeting, we were able to announce that this past fiscal year, uh, it was our biggest giving year to date. And because, yeah, thank you. It's really, really incredible. It's a really cool thing. Um, and because of that, we were able to do some really, really, really cool things. We were able to hire Angie Van Antwerp as our grapple director, right? So we have, a, we have somebody dedicating their time every single week to our middle school kids. We were able to hire Ben Baptist as a media specialist and bring fresh energy and, um, to our video and our podcast and our website. We solidified the programming director role as a permanent staff position, and amongst all those things, we were also able to, over the last two years, we've given away close to $30,000 to our impact partners. And not just in cash. Uh, my friend Rochella, at the beginning of this year, she called me um, about their manager at the Six Degrees resale store. If, if you're not aware, the emergency shelter is connected to Six Degrees. So the money that you, that you, when you patronize Six Degrees, that money you spend there is going directly to emergency shelter services. And so it's a beautiful partnership that they have. And so Rochella, she's the executive director at the emergency shelter. She calls me and says, hey, I've got this, I have this great manager at the resale store, um, but he's really struggling to get to work every single day. So he had two, um, two daughters at that point, and so he would wake up every morning and he'd walk his daughters to school, which is in the opposite direction of work. And then in the cold and in the winter, he would walk multiple miles all the way to six degrees. And some mornings he couldn't make it, some mornings he would get in late and the store would open late and he'd have to leave early to get his kids home from school. And so she said, what can we do? I wanna keep him. We all know how hard it is to find good work, right? Um, and so Storyliners came through, and not just with a check for part of a car or a connection to a guy who has a car. We bought him a minivan. Um, it was really, really an awesome thing. Yeah, it, and that, yeah, it, yes. 
Another story, real quick, through Love Changes Lives, which is kind of our, it's our, it's our mission giving movement here at Storyline, right? Um, we were able to fund a virtual, or a virtual reality system for the Benton Harbor Street Ministry, now the Benton Harbor Success Movement. Um, and that's being used so that kids in the juvenile detention center are able to interact in real time with their peers outside of the, the juvenile detention center. So they can continue to interact in social and educational opportunities so that when they leave that center, they're not limited by their spheres of influence, that they can continue to expand those. So those are just two of the ways that this year we were able to use uh, a lot of the extra money that we have, we've been blessed with. Um, and it's because of you, it's because of your generosity. So over, 20, over the last 20 years, we've been able to pay our people and the small set of expenses that we have and give away a ton of money all without ever passing a plate. And we're gonna do everything we can to keep it that way. Um, and so know that if we ever do make an ask, it will only be, be because we absolutely need to. So if this morning in our conversation about how grace changes our wealth has anything to do with storyline in our financial future, it's only within the context of what more can we do to continue to be a conduit of grace in and throughout our community. So, no, I don't want to give an ass this morning. I don't want to give advice. What I do is I'd like to give an overview of how Jesus speaks about our treasure, how Jesus speaks about generosity. And I'm, I know I'm not going to get, get to it all. So the last disclaimer I'll make here this morning is connected to uh, something that's really, really important as we think about money. We don't make claims of authority or absolutes here at Storyline very often, right? There's 40,000 different denominations of the Christian faith. That means there's a lot of nuance in, in this conversation. Um, I, do, I do personally, I, do, I personally believe that there is no connection between financial prosperity and generosity. Financial prosperity is a material thing made by us, made by man, and generosity is a commission by, uh, by God. I don't see a connection between those things in the modern economic sense, right? That there is a correlation between the money and how much we make and how hard and how fast we follow after Jesus. Um, we'll get into this a little bit, but Jesus was homeless. He slept on hillsides and in the holes of ships and in homes of people who were willing to risk hosting a rebel. And because of that, we should be clear, Jesus was probably viewed more like Che Guevara than he was like Taylor Swift. So for us to falsely conflate material prosperity and generosity, it's disingenuous to the mission of the gospel. Money cannot buy happiness. It can buy a jet ski. And sometimes those things, <laughs> right, they sometimes they feel like the same thing, but they're not. No matter how much we have, we won't be satisfied. So yes, we should also be very frank that money can solve a lot of problems. In fact, a lot of the things that we look at and like, look how terrible the world is, it's like, well, some of these things could be solved with more money. But there's no guarantee that a constructed theory of dollars and cents can provide any guarantee for a good and happy life. It can make life easier. It can make life more comfortable. It can make life feel more controlled and secure. But happiness, that's our job. Joy is free. It's ours. It's in us. God creates us out of his joy, completes us in his image, and is the source of our love and our happiness. 
We can't assume that something or someone will fulfill us in a dependable way. We can't rely on material possession and prosperity to be the solution for our joy and happiness. It's when we begin to imagine a world where everything we need, we already have because of our reliance on something bigger and more powerful. That's what's opened us to the possibility of happiness and joy.
Cause everything is free now That's what I said No one's gotta listen to No words in my head Someone hit the big score And I figured it out And I'm gonna do it anyway Even if it doesn't pay Thank you. Thanks, Gabe. So I spent much of much of my week uh, drifting between various levels of confidence on this subject. At one point, I had four pages of notes on the construction of the modern currency system in comparison to the Old Testament commission of tithing. Um, that missed the mark. So instead, this morning, I want to talk about Jesus. Um, but first, let's talk about what we really mean when we talk about our wealth. Our wealth is our security. It's the blanket we pull over our heads to hide from the boogeyman. But the thing is, there never seems to be enough blankets, right? The number one question that steals the most amount of hours of my sleep is, will I have enough? And then you throw kids into the equation and it's a whole new ballgame of anxiety, right? Have you seen the price of Nutella? <laughs> this is ridiculous. So I'm with you. Right? This is an awkward and challenging subject, but I really, really, really think there's something good and significant for us, and so if you'll bear with me, let's dive in here. Um, Jesus comes to show us what it means that grace can change everything, and I really, really, really believe that means everything. During his three years of ministry, he talked about one subject more than any other. Not love, not death, not heaven, money. More than anything else, he talked about money. And there have been a lot of theories around why he chose to put so much emphasis on it. But in my opinion, it's not that complicated, right? If we, if what, it's what, excuse me, money is what people wanted to talk about. If you think anxiety is high about the economy right now, imagine paying 90% in taxes. The people of the first century Galilee and Jerusalem, they were experiencing an unfathomable level of inflation at the hands of the Roman government. Rome kept increasing taxes over and over and over to fund the conquest of their growing empire. So Jesus, the divine manifestation of God in human form, he comes down to earth and is met with an unfathomable anxiety about the economy. He talks about it. He brings it up over and over and over again because it's unavoidable. The best example we have of what God's ideal economy is is the Garden of Eden. 
right? Essentially like a holy anarchy where things grow, where there's a space where there's a cyclical and fertile relationship of life and provision and reproduction, right? But we all know how that ended. We wanted to give our system a shot instead. And in doing so, we created a world in which poverty and hunger and dysentery and borders and war, they're constant threats to our existence. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, the systematic impoverishment of non-Roman non people, Jewish and otherwise, had reached a level not seen at any other point in human history. So of course, Jesus is going to address it. He's going to talk about it. He has to. You see, Jesus himself was homeless. He leaves his family in Nazareth only to find himself traveling the countryside, sleeping on hillsides and in the hulls of ships and relying on the hospitality of those who would uh, host a revolutionary. And in Luke chapter 8, we get a glimpse into the organization behind his ministry. It says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had come out. Jo Joanna, the wife of Chusa, which is a great name. Uh, <laughs> Chusa was the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, quick note here. Not only were women included in Jesus' mission, they were actively keeping the whole operation running, right? Let's not miss that little fact here. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, right? That's Herod, as in King Herod. Joanna is Robin Hood, right? She's stealing from the rich to give to the poor. So as we consider his words about wealth and generosity, it's incredibly helpful to understand his human context. Jesus was poor, and he lived with and amongst the poor. He was called a drunkard and ugly and unassuming and had a reputation of fraternizing with rebels and pagans and prostitutes. This is the vessel that God chooses to enter into his creation. And I think it's incredibly significant. I don't... I don't know if this is articulated anywhere in the storyline lexicon, but Christ's humility, this humble reality of his context, it's important about how I view that this room that we choose to host our gathering every Sunday. We're in our 20th year as a church. That's our best guess, at least. No one really knows, but our records that we have go back to 2003. Um, and since year two, we've been challenged with the opportunity to build our own building. And so many times it's been tempting. Twice during the pandemic, we were offered, we were just offered buildings free of charge. Our group has come to an end. Here is a church. It's pretty, it was wild. And we really, really, really thought about it. But after running the numbers, we learned that it would be more expensive to maintain and operate a free building. <laughs> right. <laughs> than it would be to continue paying rent here. It'd be nice though, wouldn't it, right? It'd be really comfortable. Our volunteer teams are nodding in their seats right now with me, all, all 25 or 30 that it takes to make a morning like this happen. They're imagining a Sunday morning where we didn't have to set it all up and tear it all down every week, right? We could leave our amps on the stage and we could leave the drum set set up and we could have this beautiful and designated kid area, right? It would be so nice, It'd be so comfortable. 
right? There's definitely a cost to doing things our way here. The burnout rate is high. It takes a lot of us every single week to make Sunday morning happen. But running as lean as we do allows us the opportunity to invest and reinvest in our people and our community. And all of that is inspired by the mission of grace that Jesus has laid out for us. And our treasure is not exempt from that mission. There's one instance near the end of Jesus' life when he's sharing a meal with, with his closest followers in the, home, this, in the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. You might remember these sisters from a couple chapters earlier. They're the brother of a man named Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus uh, was raised from the dead by Jesus. And so these sisters have borne witness to the, one of the ultimate miracles of Jesus' ministry. Um, it's a pretty crazy and wild story that maybe we'll save for another time. But Jesus, he's traveling to Jerusalem um, to celebrate Passover in the Promised Land. And so he finds himself en route at the home of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary, who just a few chapters earlier watched this man raise her brother from the dead, she interrupts the meal to sit at Jesus' feet and bathe him in a pint of pure nod. Now, the Bible describes pure nod as this, um, as this very expensive perfume, and it notes that this perfume is probably worth a year's worth of wages, right? Imagine something in your home that valuable, that costs a year of your salary. About 10 years ago, I got a chance to visit the House of Blessing in Haiti, We've partnered with this orphanage for a long, long time. Um, and before the recent civil unrest in the country, we were sending groups, you know, maybe 12, every 12 to 18 months. And so in the December of 2013, um, myself and a bunch of other storyliners, we made our trip down there, and it was this cr incredible and eye-opening experience. But one detail that has stuck with me to this day were the homes. They were usually nothing more than a loosely constructed room with thin steel walls and tarped roofs. But outside of these homesteads was some version of a farm animal. It, it could be a goat or a sheep or a cow, but almost every home that we walked past had one. And I asked one of the kids that was walking with us, who's kind of giving us a tour around town, uh, as I assumed that these were pets. And that wasn't entirely false, but what he said was, is that these animals these were the rainy day account, right? This, this was, when, when, when it all hits the fan, at least we have the goat, right? We could sell it, we could eat it, we could use its milk. This was, this was their 401k, this was their pension. So this bottle of perfume has a similar sentiment. Something of that high of value 2,000 years ago, something that's worth a year's salary, is likely one of, if not, the family's most valued possession. And to empty it at the feet of Jesus was a significant sacrifice. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, there's multiple chapters that are dedicated to the sacrificial system of atonement. And on multiple occasions, it references the aroma of a sacrifice as being pleasing to the Lord. Right? So this bottle of perfume isn't an accident. It isn't a coincidence. Right? It must have given off an incredibly pleasing aroma. So Mary, having experienced grace at the highest level, her brother being raised from the dead, she sacrifices one of her family's most valuable possessions in honor of that gift of grace. 
One of the disciples, he was eating with Jesus. He challenges him on this, right? And rightfully so, saying that that perfume could have been sold and the profits could have been given to the poor. But Jesus responds this way, and I think it's really, really interesting. He says, and remember, he is poor, and his mission all along has been to benefit the poor through healing, wisdom, and salvation. And so when challenged with it, he says this, you will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end and he wants his followers to understand that the mission doesn't end. It doesn't stop when he leaves. In fact, he says you will always have the poor among you. Now there's two ways to read this. One, there will always be poor people among you, right? So just get used to it. What is the point in trying to fight against a system that will continue to widen the gap between the haves and the have-nots? Or, there will always be the poor. So the mission doesn't end. There will always be poverty on on this side of the garden. So the work of grace is always now. He says it differently in another point in Scripture when he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. You see, over thousands of years of conquering and systematic oppression, the tribes who found themselves in the top would use those at the bottom to continue to accumulate and produce. And so fairly quickly in human history, we figured out that if you have enough power and enough money, you can just force people to do whatever it is that you want them to. So if you conquered another tribe, it was your prerogative to then benefit your people, to benefit your tribe, by using whatever you conquered to get what you want. So what happens then? There's those who have then and those who don't have. And that's separated by who's in the tribe and who's not on the tribe. Those in the tribe have security and those out of the tribe don't. This is what wealth looks like in the Bible. The modern system of currency that we benefit from today wasn't established until about 600 years before the life of Christ. If we think about when Moses was, it was about 3,500 years before Moses, okay? So another couple thousand of years, and, and we would get to the modern currency system. So wealth in ancient times was made up of things that you put your security in that wasn't related to currency, right? It was your bloodline. It was your geography. It was your land. It was your leader. It was your neighbor, And so when we have this clashing of tribes or one tribe wins over the other, then enslaves and impoverished and uses that tribe, we see the beginnings and the origin of poverty. Poverty was not an inherent part of God's plan. Humans are responsible for the poor. We learned how to limit access and force people into dependency. We created a system dependent on a certain portion of society breaking themselves against their will to build and sustain the security of those who were born in a different part of the world and in a different circumstance. 10,000 kids a day die of hunger. 10,000 kids a day. 2,000 kids under the age of five that's, my, that's Bo and that's Quinn for me. They die every day because of diarrhea. That's on us, right? That's our fault. I mean, come on. We live in a country, arguably the most prosperous tribe in the history of the world has, 
that the world has ever known, and yet a kid can be denied an earned high school diploma because they can't pay their lunch debt. It feels a little like, as a society, we've just learned to get comfortable and complacent with the poverty that plagues this world. So the first purpose of our generosity is because it's necessary. If not us, then who? Let me show the papers. I'll sleep in the stable. Please, I'm hungry. Get out. For you are weary, and the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you, there is bread to make you strong. A bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today, bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Silver, we caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for 
So over and over and over again, Jesus is trying to help his followers understand the mission before them. And that mission is generosity. It's the giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. That is the solution for the long list of issues that these first followers of Jesus were living within. And so we give. We give and we engage our wealth and our labor and our time with generosity because as followers of Jesus, it's on us, right? We are the conduits of God's grace in the world. He has a plan for this world, and it is us. But there's a second reason why we are generous. There's a concept there's a concept within, within science called a vacuum. Now, again, I'm not authority on this. I haven't taken a science class since high school either. Um, I'm sure we're all familiar with uh, the vacuum machine, if you will, right? We use it on a daily or weekly basis to clean our homes. Um, but in concept, uh, the state of a vacuum occurs when the pressure of a space drops below the ambient atmosphere. So essentially, if you were to fill a space with air, I don't have a space up here, but if you fill like a space with air and then you were to remove that air from it without replacing it, it would create a vacuum. And it would leave, and that vacuum is the result of the void, right? The void of air in that space. When it leaves, that void then creates an engine to be refilled. Does that make sense? Jill was here, she'd be able to explain it better, right? Um, I haven't taken a science class in a long time. So Jesus is preaching near the temple. He's speaking against uh, religious pride and arrogance. And in Luke chapter 20 and 21, we see, um, we see him notice this long line that's forming outside of the temple. Uh, and these are people that are lining up to present their tithe in order to stay in proper standing with God. Um, and the Bible says this, maybe you've heard this story before. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. When we give of ourselves, it's uncomfortable. We're taking away our security. We are putting ourselves at risk. But when we surrender our security, it creates a vacuum of grace, forcing us to put our trust in something bigger and more powerful than ourselves. I'm not sure what to think of this. Honestly, on multiple occasions, Jesus challenges people to surrender everything, right? Sell it all and give it to the poor. We see it multiple times in Scripture. But I believe the heart behind this sentiment, where the woman is recognized for having given it all, even, if, even because it was so little, Jesus is asking us, where are we going to put our trust? Are we going to put our trust in our wealth, in our reputation, in our status, in our own ability to fight against the boogeyman? You see, if we continue to hold on to our version of security, hoping that the way of the world will protect us, then we may miss out on the very opportunity to be that conduit of grace, which only opens us up to receive more and more and more grace. And what am I talking about when I say receive that grace? What am I talking about the grace that we get, right? I'm talking about deeper and intimate relationships. 
I'm talking about participating in the progress of making the world a more beautiful and a more equitable place. This would mean living in a world where, where more people have access to clean food and water. And isn't that a world that we want to live in? Isn't that a world that's good for us? The generosity vacuum created by the surrender of our own security exposes us to an overwhelming collision of grace, which leads to an even more plentiful opportunities to give. Our willingness to delay our own self-gratification and surrender our own security on behalf of others is the moment grace not only changes our wealth, it changes us, it transforms us.
we are called to be generous because there's a mountain of need, right? Because the poor will always be with us, and it's on us to climb that mountain with our hands wide open, right? And we are called to give because it's the best thing for us. It, tr- it transforms us into something beautiful. Y'all, this is really challenging and uncomfortable and awkward stuff. And it's way easier in theory than it is in practice. I fail at this every single day. But I think what Jesus wants for us is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You see, our willingness to lean into our own discomfort and fear is directly related to our confidence in the grace of God. Do we believe that God is on our side and that he has our best interest in mind? Do we trust that he's going to make us something beautiful? Do we believe that his grace is not only good, but that it's good enough? In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul calls followers of Jesus to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Another version of the Bible puts it this way. That last line says, he set aside the privileges of his deity. His status as God and instead took on the status of a slave. Jesus set aside what he had earned. He ignored his privilege as the son of God and set aside his security so that he could become a slave and set us free. And what the mission of grace is calling all of us to do is exactly that. To set aside our own privilege and our own security, to lay down the advantages of our certainty and satisfaction so that we can participate in loving the world right again. So may you create a vacuum. May you be that vacuum. May you create a void so strong that grace can't help but fill it. May you find your comfort in the one who knows you and made you, who looks past your status and your reputation and your savings account and sees you, his masterpiece. And may we work together to find chances to serve servants and to put broken things back together. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Friends, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Gathering from Storyline Church. Have a blessed week.